my guest today is Paul Thompson. And let's get to know Paul a little bit more today. So who is Paul? Paul has had 25 years funding, funding business owners and property investors and developers and people like that. He is the founder and owner of Acorn Finance. He served five years on the board of the National Association of Commercial Finance Brokers and won seven, seven times he won Best UK Broker Awards. So that was Acorn Finance. But Paul himself studied international relations at uni. And before that, he trained as a Sea King helicopter pilot for the Royal Navy. And that is probably why his podcast is called Flying High. But Paul, on that note, welcome to Maximising Property Values. And before we go into your activities, let's get to know you just a little bit better. I know that you've we've been talking a little bit about your move to Spain. So for people who don't know, Paul has recently emigrated to Spain within the last week or so. Um, so that's really interesting. And I'm a nosy person, naturally. So, <laughs> um, But here are your two questions. One, yeah. what was it that made you, stroke, encouraged you, stroke, and yeah, to, to, to actually emigrate? So what was it that made you emigrate? And then once you answer that, I'll come, I'll come on to the second one. Yeah, don't ask me two questions at once because I'll forget one of them before I've got to answering both. So what made us emigrate? Um, we've been talking about it for a long time, uh, my wife and I. Um, we've been married 10 years this year. And I honestly think it's been on the cards for pretty much 10 years or more probably that we would end up somewhere else. Um, we both enjoy seasons and you know, cold winters, hot summers. Um, so going somewhere where the, you know, weather, weather's a bit different to the UK is definitely an advantage. Um, and just a change of lifestyle, really, a, a, a different pace of life. Um, I've been, as you say, I've been doing this for 25 years. And a lot of that, I was working in partnership with my father. Um, he retired in 2016 and then unfortunately died last year but he was very old school in wanting to have the office the staff around him that sort of thing um when he retired um the carrying on that way just seemed a bit pointless and it, at that point um i hadn't got a business that i was growing uh, and I wish I'd learnt a lot more about growing a business before he before he retired rather than after. Um, so we'd kept the business deliberately small. It was kind of his choice rather than mine. Um, two advisors running the business and just maintaining that. Being, we we're always very good at what we did. We were always very uh, responsive to clients, that sort of thing. But never he never wanted to grow the business into what it could be um, so we but in doing that we got a really good reputation when he retired i realized that actually most of what we do 
uh, is being on the phone to clients. It's not seeing people face to face. The internet meant at that point you could see people face to face through Zoom, as everybody does now, um, through Skype, anything. Um, and that was back in sort of 2016, 17. And it made me realize that actually paying for an office space that was redundant really was pointless. So I moved, moved the business into my home, home office. Um, so I was a bit ahead of the time then. I didn't know it at the time, but um, that was a good move. And then it makes you realize that actually you can run this business from any anywhere in the world. So where I had been thinking I'd have to retire and move over to another country and then set a business up locally, actually, I can stay running Acorn. I can sit here in the sun. Um, I could have a sangria or a beer in my hand if I wanted, but I've actually got a glass of water because I've got a busy afternoon. Um, and we can enjoy life and we can do what we want. So we're out here. We're not retiring um we're i'll continue to work full-time at acorn although i've got franchisees now who i'm trying to build more of the um the business through them rather than through me advising every client um but we'll also start a business over here uh, it might be property business might be hospitality uh, it might be sort of serviced accommodation it might actually be farming and uh, we've seen a lemon farm that we quite like the idea of. So we're looking into all these different avenues to see what we, what really tickles our fancy. But I'm also looking to start doing some funding over here as well. So I've reached out to a few local financial advisors to say, well, you know, we've got the access to lenders who want to lend in Spain. Um, so I'm just starting to look into the, regulatory requirements over here i don't think i've answered your question have i have i answered your question no 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 you have <laughs> <laughs> 10 years of making i'm just waffling ten... yeah <laughs> no, but, we've, but it, we've, it, it... We, i was gonna say we've looked at lots of different countries we've been watching you know all the tv programs the escape to the chateau and um, escape to the our new life in the sun all these things uh, but we love the way of life in spain we love the the Spanish attitude to life, the, the laid back, enjoy life, um, take long lunches, enjoy the day. Um, and, you know, don't, and live, live, what do they say? Um, work to live, don't live to work. Um, so yeah, get, gonna get as close to that as we possibly can while still running any uh, UK business and people expecting me to be on call 24 seven. So yeah. <laughs> Wow. Well, do you know what? I I clearly wish you all the very, very best with that. And I hope it works out. And yeah, I can't wait till you've got your place and you invite us all over to come and have a look. Um, right. OK, great stuff. So you've got lovely weather at the moment and we don't, but ours is going to improve as well. So <laughs> I'm going to bear that in mind um, and not feel too jealous. We um, did. When we when we arrived, we did have a couple of days of um, of quite cold and rain. Um, last whenever that was uh, last week sometime so it's not all plain sailing but, uh, it's not too bad <laughs> right okay now the other thing that you that that i i haven't mentioned is that you also um you featured uh, um, on tv um where you were helping um 
the BBC to um, look at people who, um, uh, brokers who were badly behaved. So uh, um, can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, sure. Um, gosh, I'm trying to remember when that was. Um, I'm going to go very vague and say it was the early part of this century, which makes me sound absolutely ancient when you say things like that. Um, I'd been working with a journalist from The Publican. This is uh, it's a business related rather than property. Um, but um, unfortunately, people in the licence trade are not always the most savvy business people. Um, some of them are, but it's, a, it's one of those businesses that people get into almost by accident, like some landlords, uh, you know, some property landlords do. And they grow a, they grow a business, um, but they're not always the most savvy. Um, so this particular company down based down in Bournemouth, I think, um, were calling up people saying, well, we, we can re- uh, arrange a mortgage for you or on your against your property. And it was they were really preying on pubs, takeaways and those sort of small businesses. Uh, we can arrange a mortgage or we can do your lending and it's going to cost you this, which was you know, half what the high street banks were paying. Um, all you need to do is give us a thousand or two thousand pounds up front um, and we'll get it sorted. And they were quite plausible and people were paying him, paying them a thousand or two thousand pounds. Um, so the BBC asked me to get involved because I'd been dealing with the, the public and newspaper who'd been, who started the investigation off uh, and then the BBC had picked it up. Um, so we did some some of these covert or whatever uh, telephone recordings and that sort of thing and i was able to sit there and said well you know that's what they're saying that's incorrect that's incorrect they should be asking these sorts of questions for them to be able to give the information that they're giving um, which all of it was wrong and basically it was you know they'll take that money up front um and then if you try to get hold of them a few weeks later when your loan hasn't arrived, uh, the phones ring out, you couldn't get hold of them, they don't answer your emails and, and that sort of thing. So it was just, it was that, you know, um, thing that you used to do on Watchdog, they still do on Watchdog, but it was inside out, the programme. Um, and it was uh, just that consumer rights thing of, you know, it's an unregulated business, so people can say and do what they want but fraud is still fraud and um, they certainly they got shut down and the the director of that company was banned as a director Um, but they did pop up again with him working as an advisor um, and I think his son-in-law or daughter-in-law or something as the directors of the company Um, they're not they're not around anymore to the best of my knowledge but these these things do pop up and they you know as we've seen with um, that property trainer well, i can't think of his name who um, went bankrupt a few weeks ago um it happens in every sector and without really really tight regulation which hits us all too hard and ends up costing the consumer more money um there's little we can do about it. You just have to do your own due diligence and 
you have to treat it like a business. Um, so, you know, especially in property, there, as we said earlier, there's a lot of uh, accidental landlords, and they they'll go to the cheapest possible. Sometimes they will go to the cheapest possible source of funding or source of advice, be it funding, legal, whatever it may be. And that's not always going to be the best answer. Sometimes it's worth paying for experience and paying for um, somebody who really knows what they're doing. Oh, thank you, Paul. Because that you've probably answered my second question then, because the second question was or was going to be, what is the worst broker bad behaviour that you've seen? So I'm, I'm assuming it's this guy from Bournemouth, or have you seen something it's, even worse? It's, abs- it's absolutely that. It's that's called advance fee fraud. Um, uh, I could, I could. I'm not sure if I can say the other one. Yeah, I probably can. Um, I do, I do know of another one who uh, used to had a pet accountant who used to have accounts written to to get commercial mortgages at the the, the deals that they wanted. Um, most lenders wouldn't deal with him because everybody knew what he was doing. Um, but a few lenders just turned a blind eye to that. Um, so uh, personally, I think that's very bad. He got clients what they wanted, but got it by not by fair means. Um, not something that I would entertain. He actually ended up going to prison uh, for about seven years um, for money laundering. Um, so... He's he's no longer a broker either. He was up up north. Um, that's pretty bad. But in the main, those sort of things aren't going on. The, the main the main bad behaviour, um, as opposed to the worst bad behaviour, is just over promising and under delivering. It's um, saying that we can do we can do these deals um, without really talking to a customer, and customers push you into that. They say. You know, I want to buy to let, and I want it seventy-five percent. Um, so you say, well, yeah, we can do that from certain rates, but I need to know more information before I start telling you what you're going to get. So people are pushing you for the best rate, and then they're comparing you to another broker who says they can do much better, and that's purely because they're not giving you enough information. And I, I like to say what I can do, not what I hope I can do. And I know that some some brokers would say what they hope they can do rather than what they know they can do. Um, and it's just that different approach. Um, we probably lose business based on that. And I don't mind that because that sort of business I can probably do without. Um, yes, by stretching the truth a little bit, you could probably break, grow your business much faster. But I just, I don't want to be in that business. That's not how I work. Wow, excellent. Do you know, and, and you're absolutely right there, because um, that also it actually reminds me of an estate agent um, who would, if, you, if you're selling, they'll come and say, yes, you can get, we can get this for, for you. And do you know what, this particular estate agent and everyone said, within a week, literally, not even a week, three days, they'd ring you up and say, oh, we think that price is a bit too high. Let's reduce it downwards. And they won't be talking 1,000 or 2,000. It'll be like, you know, 30,000, 50,000. <laughs> yeah. And they, they never expected to sell at the price that, you know, they would have told the seller they could get. They just wanted that property on their books. Yeah, but it's, 
it's a really hard position if you're selling a property, especially you know for non-investors or for small investors. You're not selling a property every day. It's not it's not a regular occurrence. So you're reliant on these experts um, to give you an honest opinion. Um, we we sold our York house last year, um, and we actually ended up going with the agent that gave us the highest valuation because we found them credible um and they got way more than we expected and we'd done all the research on right move and uh, zoopla etc so we had a, an idea of what we what we thought it was worth um they got us you know a, a good amount more than we were expecting which is good not as much as they suggested it might go for but fair enough but it was still more than some of the other agents had suggested you know as a marketing price so it is a difficult one and you've got to get different opinions and then you've got to go with your gut about who you who you trust really about who you feel most comfortable working with and it shouldn't always be based on price it should be based on you know who you want to work with Definitely. So, Paul, um, you, you know, it was OK for you to be um, on the balcony, um, but there's I've just a, moved. That, oh, you just moved. OK, because there was just a, moved inside. Yeah. OK, yeah. great stuff. Thank you. Um, right. OK. So you actually you you love the more complex funding situations. Um, because you say, you know, they make you think, they make you bring all of your experience to bear. You know, tell us about you know, these complex situations, because they're, they're, there might be somebody in the audience or somebody who will be listening to this on the podcast who might think, oh, do you know what? I've got this hopeless situation. I can't actually fund this deal um, because it just seems impossible. But maybe they need to come to somebody like you who might be able to unravel it for them and put it all back together. So can you tell us about these complex situations that actually make your heart beat faster? <laughs> yeah, um, I've been racking my brains trying to think about what I want to talk about. Um, and we've, we've got a client at the moment that, you know, just in the throes of finishing a development case. Um, so they bought a hotel, which we funded, um, I think in about 2008, something like 2007, 2008, um, bought this hotel in Derbyshire. Nice little hotel, nice business. Um, and they've run it since then. Uh, they're getting a little bit older, looking for their exit. And the options for selling it as a hotel and getting a good return on it weren't looking brilliant um, and this is going back sort of pre-covid so 2018-19 uh, so they'd marketed it as a hotel um, they'd had an offer from a property developer um, subject to planning oh no it wasn't subject to planning it was just an offer uh, which they accepted um, so they went through the throes of closing their business down, getting rid of all their inventory, that sort of thing. Uh, they exchanged contracts on it, and the completion never happened. The planning permission didn't come through, but it wasn't it wasn't a deal that was subject to planning. 
So the buyer ended up in default of the of the contract. They phoned me and said, "What can I what What can I do? They've still got a mortgage on the hotel. Um, they thought it was all going to be paid off. They'd spoken to the lender. Um, it was the mortgage that I'd arranged. They'd spoken to the lender, and they'd got you know from closing the hotel, um, they'd got sort of a six month." window where they would just add the interest back onto the loan and give them that time to sell um which was fine they were approaching the end of that six months and the buyer was showing no indications that he was actually going to buy the place so they were getting quite panicky and i so i said well the options are you either borrow a load of money to reopen the hotel um, and buy new inventory which we can do they didn't really want to do that because they knew that they wanted to sell the hotel and the best sale was going to be through a developer. Um, or we, you know, you remarket as a development opportunity, but they've turned down the planning at the moment. So it doesn't look great. Or we look at why the planning has been turned down and um, reframe it in that angle. So they got planning, uh, planning experts involved, um, realized that basically the the developer was trying to cram too many apartments into the building and if they took one apartment away it would reduce a planning a, a flooding risk because they'd required the basement to be used and there was just this issue of runoff water filling the basement up um, if they got rid of that the negatives would go away and the planning was pr- most would most likely be approved they did and it was um, so we were able to firstly going back two steps we bridged the refinance of the mortgage so that they were on a bridging loan they would therefore not have payments to make during a year which we'd given them to get the planning sorted which took about eight months so we weren't far off the mark we then refinanced that onto a development loan which gave them another another year following to do the build we're about where are we seven months into that and the properties are being marketed now the show show flat show apartments has been completed and looks amazing um and they've got cgi um, cgi visions or whatever you call them images of all the other apartments and the conversion is looking absolutely fantastic so we were able to turn that from a real problem case that where they were very very worried that they were going to be repossessed to a development and it's a first-time development they've bought houses that they've refurbished before but nothing on the scale of a, a 12 bedroom hotel i think it was um so you know they've gained a huge amount in experience uh and they're now talking to me about the next opportunity which is for them to buy uh, they haven't found it yet but they want to buy another hotel to convert to apartments because they can see the value in it and they're looking at nice you know smaller properties like the one that they've got so they're building eight uh, eight apartments in this um, and from a 12-bedroom hotel. 
Uh, so they're looking at similar opportunities to go off and do again. So yeah, that got my got me going. It um, stretched us in terms of getting lenders to do the work. We had a lender lined up for the development. The let that lender run out of money. Unfortunately, it was a crowdfunded lender, and I know there's a lot of crowdfunding lenders, and most of them are excellent. Unfortunately, this one I will never touch again. Um, uh, they just didn't, you know, didn't understand the deal uh, when they said they did. They didn't have the funding background in the background that they needed. Um, and they came up short. So we had to move to a second development lender, which obviously cost the customer quite a lot of money. We recouped a lot of that from the first lender, but not all of it. But it was worth it in the end. And the, the, the lender that we're with now will see them through to the end. Uh, and the sales are starting to come in already. So it's good. But yeah, there were a lot of uh, there were phone calls on holiday. There were... You know, after work calls to the client to keep the thing moving, keep put their mind at rest and that sort of thing. So yeah, definitely, 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 it's worth it. You put the work in and you get happy clients. And uh, a lot of those clients, you know, it, uh, this is case in point. I've known these clients for fifteen years, uh, and they come back and come back again and come back again. So, well, must be doing something right. Well, hopefully. <laughs> Definitely. Um, so, uh, you know, Paul, you, you, you mentioned something there, which I think is actually quite important to people in, in property. They didn't have the experience to do what they were proposing to do, but you were still able to get them the funding. Can you just maybe like talk to people about that? Because lots of people, you know, you've got to start somewhere, haven't you? And, you know, not everyone wants to kind of like, you know, cozy up with somebody else in joint venture or or get, you know, themselves like, you know, a teacher or a mentor. But how can people, how can you help people if they haven't got the requisite experience, but, you know, they're really keen to actually do something um, with whatever it is that they're looking at? Well, in this case, um, and what we, this is what we'd normally do, we make sure that there's a good team around them. Um, somebody put something on Facebook the other day that the pilot of an aeroplane doesn't serve the drinks. In fact, I did used to serve the drinks and sometimes, but um, <laughs> that was quite a small aeroplane, so I could just hand something over. But, yeah, you, you work as part of a team. Um, nobody expects the manager of um, Liverpool to be on the pitch running around with the team done that in the past I'm sure I don't know a lot about football but it is a team it's you know everybody's part of a team so as long as the customer had the right team around him and was getting the right advice the lender's comfortable that the work's being done to the right standard he's there um, you know he's his full-time job was running in a running a hotel so he's there full-time running the development uh, putting orders in making sure things are being done right but when something needs to be checked off as being safe or compliant with building regs or whatever it may be he has the right people to do that be it an architect or an electrician or the builder so it's about making sure that that team is experienced and robust enough to 
keep him on track and tell him if he's doing something wrong. Um, so we've got a, a main contractor who is experienced and responsible, has a proper team around them. They're not just getting in subcontractors that they don't know. We've got an architect who's you know, drawn up the plans, he's involved in regular checks. And then we've got um, you know the members of the team, they've got the, obviously building control uh, around and about anyway. Uh, so we don't want to upset them, um, which we haven't. Uh, and you've got inspections from the uh, the oh, what's it called? The warranty uh, provider. So they're inspecting work as well to make sure that everything's being done correctly. So with all of those people keeping an eye on what's going on, we know that the builder isn't going to shortcut something and mess things up. Uh, and he's gaining and the client's gaining experience all the time so with his next one you know he's brought this one in uh, touch wood he'll bring it in within budget we're on target at the moment and the sales will go you know the sales projections are way in excess of what the valuer had said um, in 2019 because the, that's how the market's gone uh, the the apartments look way better than anybody really could have predicted um, so the sales will go well that will go well on his cv and for his next deal we'll go to a different lender um, we'll get him probably slightly more money uh, than in this case and he'll pay slightly less for it but you start at a, at a position of where you are with your experience and you have to go to a lender that accepts that, which means that there's slightly more risk in the deal to the lender. So you pay a little bit more for that, but you still pay, you know, you still make a lot, much better profit than selling that site onto another, a third party who, in this case, didn't happen. But you know, he, the profit would have been way, way less, although they'd had that money two years ago. So it's horses for courses, really. And also, he would have had the 10% that his buyer um, um, would have lost on not completing on the deal. So I think he's been laughing all the way to the bank. Lucky him. Um, yeah, yeah. And that, that helped. But I mean, lawyers did, I think, take, took a, a portion of that off him as well in just in retrieving, keeping it. Uh, and it did cause various legal problems later on for us to prove to lenders that that buyer, because he owned the plans, didn't have any sort of rights um, to the property. So it did cause us a few problems later, but nothing insurmountable and just sort of scratching head moments to say, well, if this guy didn't complete on the project, on the purchase, he has no rights whatsoever. Um, but we had to get quite a lot of legal advice around that for something that seemed to me to be common sense to actually be written down by a solicitor to say, yeah, that it does make sense and we're right. Um, I don't know if you... Mm, okay. Um, yeah, sometimes, you know, the things that seem the most, like, logical, um, you have to jump through hoops <laughs> to actually get other people to see it the way that you do. So... <laughs> And that, yeah, that can be quite frustrating. Oof. Okay. Well, do you know, I, 
good for your client. And he must now be looking at that um, aborted purchase as a blessing in disguise. Because not only is he making more money, but he's also pivoting to do this himself. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think he's quite enjoyed it, really. I don't think he thought he would at the beginning um, because he's he's done houses. And I think, you know, when you do a house, up, you end up doing quite a lot of work yourself. And I, th I think when you're in your mid, late 50s, whatever, I'm not sure what he is, you don't relish all that work and um, you don't want to start bash bashing walls down and that sort of thing. So I don't think he was really looking forward to it, but I think he's... Yeah, he's got his teeth into it and enjoyed it. Well, he must have enjoyed it to a certain extent because he's planning on doing it again. Excellent. So that's one example. Can you share another one before we, we finish? Because it's it, it's good for people to kind of like, you know, be able to see the different kind of scenarios, the different kind of challenges and how they might be resolved, you know, because ultimately that's what everyone wants a happy ending <laughs> so are you are you able to share Ooh. with us another case study yeah i haven't got something prepared really so i'm gonna have to rack my brains a little bit i mean we've done all, over 25 years you do all sorts of, you, you come across all sorts of different scenarios um and a lot of it is around people being told one thing which isn't true um and just needing to be pointed in the right direction uh, as to what they can do rather than somebody just telling them what they can't do. Um, so, you know, I've had, working a lot with um, small business owners, you come across, you know, people who don't own their own property. So people who are uh, in leasehold pubs, they might have um, a very successful business, but don't own any property. Um, and traditional, in inverted commas, uh, knowledge says that if you don't own a property, you can't buy a buy-to-let because the lender will see it as a backdoor residential. And that's rubbish. Um, I don't know who said that, but it's not true. Um, if you've got somebody who's got a legitimate reason for not owning a house and the legitimate reason may not be that they live in their business um, it may be that they live abroad it may be that they they live in london they work in london they can't afford to get on the holiday oh, on the holiday on the property ladder in london but would like a property in manchester that they can invest in so that they can start building a portfolio um, some brokers and some lenders will say no that's not possible but it is possible. You just have to take the time to understand the client and the details and go to a lender who will accept that. And there are lenders that will accept. So any of those scenarios and more. Um, so, yeah, we, we've, we've done that. We've worked with um, people who are non-property non owners. You know, at the moment, we've got a case going through uh, with one of my colleagues that I've sourced the funding for them. The client is a Hong Kong national, uh, doesn't own any property out there because, you know, similar to London, Hong Kong prices are just astronomical um, for anything decent. She's investing in the UK. She's got a Hong Kong passport, which 
allows you to buy property in the UK with no issues. Um, so she's invested in the UK and, and we've sourced funding for that as a first time buyer. And that's absolutely fine. It's not the easiest. It's what we were saying earlier on. It's just something you, you, you get that understanding of the customer. You, you take the time to work out what they're doing and you go to lenders based on that. And the, the, I think the traditional mortgage brokers rely on software packages like, um, uh, I can't think what they're called, Mortgage Brain and uh, 27 Tech or something like that. Um, I don't use them. I, I sometimes look at the magazines like uh, Business Money Facts, which gives you a really good sort of overview and then I, I rely on my own knowledge of, you know, of who to call. And sometimes you call somebody and say, oh, no, we're out of that market now. Um, have you tried these people? Um, sometimes, you know, with your first two or three calls, you'll get to the ideal lender for the deal. Um, so as I've built the franchise model, I've had to try to distill that and that knowledge so we've got a huge spreadsheet with every lender that i know of even the ones we don't deal with on it um fortunately there's only we're, we're ostensibly we're whole of market but we have some lenders that we choose not to deal with so there's not very many of them they're just the ones that upset us or upset our clients so as of today we've got 376 lenders because i've just taken a new one on this morning, you know, I need to add to my list. So 376 different lenders covering the whole, whole of the market. So it could be buy-to-let lenders, development lenders, refurbs, but also um, holiday let specialists, uh, equity release, second charges, um, commercial mortgages, business lending, factoring or discounting, you know, all, all those different sectors because it all comes into what we do as brokers um, and finding the right deal for somebody. So, um, I've got a client at the moment. I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to help them. They've got a property in Spain about a couple of hours from where I'm sitting, but it's on a very low mortgage. Uh, they don't want to touch that because they want to develop it out in the next year or two. And they want to start building a portfolio in the UK. They've got a UK business, but it's only been going six months and it hasn't really made any money yet. So I'm struggling to raise any funding in the UK for a deposit for the first buy to let in the UK. And they won't let me touch their property in Spain. So at the moment, you know, I've got answers, but they're not willing to bend a little bit for me and it makes it impossible. So does that give you a bit of a flavour? Oh, it does. So it's 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 a question of give and take, isn't it? So there may well be solutions to to the complex scenarios, but only if people are prepared to actually, you know, do the work and 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 move and bend and, you know, just kind of like you know meet um, the other person um, halfway, I guess. That's right. And um, you know, people. People look at funding and, you know, like those examples, you might have to pay more for something because it's very specialist. 
um, and you you know you you look at the papers you look at the telegraph or whatever best buys and you know you're seeing buy to let mortgages from uh, leads or somebody at one and a half percent or two percent you're thinking right i want a bit of that because i can buy a house let it out and make a huge profit um and then they phone me and i say well you're gonna to have to pay four percent because you're not a homeowner or you're not this you're not that you've got you know you you haven't been in your job for very long or whatever it may be there's there's always foibles and yes you might be able to get that one or two percent rate they're really low rate please don't quote me on these rates these are just pulled out of the sky um but you might get those rates but if there's something that makes it a little bit more difficult then you're probably not going to get them but you can still do the deal so as long as the deal can be done and you can get that property you're probably only going to be paying those rates for a short amount of time um, and it might be that it's a five-year fixed so you're going to pay it for five years but after that you should be able to move on to lower rates because you're an experienced landlord you've got one or more properties under your belt um your credit's improved whatever it may be that was stopping us in the first place has gone away by then uh, it might be a two years or it might be five years depending on how painful the rate is but you do it you get rid of that rate and then you're into you know lower rates and happy days um so you've got to take a longer view you've got to do consider what's called a blended rate so if you're paying a bridging rate to get a property that you're going to refurb and then let out don't think oh my gosh i'm buying this property and it's costing me nine or ten percent a year think about the fact that oh i'm buying this property for 150 grand when i've done a bit of work and turned it around it's going to be worth 250 grand and then i'm going to have it on a mortgage at this rate at say three and a half or something so over five years although the first six months has cost me 10 percent a year and so five percent for the six months over the five years averaging that rate out and realizing that you can actually take all that money out that you put in the deal makes a lot more sense and it's looking at those parts of the equation and thinking well yeah there's an initial high high risk high rate situation because we're doing all this work as you as you're always telling people you're getting that property back to brick well as soon as you start raising a, a chisel or a sledgehammer or a um, pneumatic drill in that property the value drops significantly um, it stops being a house that somebody could live in and live in and starts being a building site and um, so until you've finished work and increased the property value there's a massive risk so a lender is going to look at that and price it accordingly because if you wander off site they've got to sell the site to somebody else um, and if it's in a an unlivable uninhabitable state with no kitchen no bathroom maybe no plaster on the walls um, and wiring hanging out everywhere there's a limited market for that they can only sell it to developers so there's that there's that give and take but if you can get a property for 150 and then it's worth 250 by the time you finish work on it and there's some profit in it 
then it's worth paying a little bit more for the money. Do you know what, Paul? Um, I'm not a figures person, so I might sound quite dumb, but lenders just want it every which way in their favour, don't they? Now, you know, them sort of like loading the interest because, you know, there's a risk if somebody doesn't, you know, have that much experience, blah, 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 you know, and all of that, or they're going to be refurbing it. I completely get that. But what I don't get is why they need to double down. So they'll have a, a, a deposit, which usually is at least 25%. Then they want to load the interest rates. Then they want personal guarantees. Then they want this. Then they want that. For goodness sakes. <laughs> How yeah. much do they really want? Um, they want as much as they can get. They want to secure their position as far as they can. But if you're, the more you're putting in, the easier the deal becomes and the easier the deal becomes the less it costs so if you've got the ability to put a, a good pg in if you've got another property that you could offer as additional security that isn't being worked on uh, because it's already in your portfolio and there's you know there's equity in it if you've got experience if you've yeah you know, if you've done this sort of thing similar projects before or um, you're working your way up in the sort of the project ladder. All of these things go in your favour and open the door to more lenders. So it's not a case that you go to lender A and you we go through and we tick half of their boxes and they say, well, in that case, it costs you this much. Most of the time, lender A has a series of boxes that we can tick or not. And if it's a not, then they may have two or three different products. But we'll probably go on to lender B, who has less boxes that we need to tick. Um, so that's why we, as brokers, we do a lot of fact-finding at the beginning. And I try not to approach lenders until I've really got that understanding for the customer of what, who they are, what they want, and where they're going. Um, take that time with the customer, get that really, really in-depth understanding, which is where our funded model comes in. Um, and then and then go to the lender and say, right, this is what we've got. And you should be able to answer all the lender's questions at that point so that you know that they're going to do the deal. They, they they've got enough knowledge from that first phone call or first email um, with a, a, a deal summary that they will be able to do it. And if there's any glitches in there, if um, there's something that I want to push their uh, lending criteria a little bit, I'll highlight that at the beginning. I won't hide it until to the end because nobody wants to get three quarters of the way through the deal. Uh, having put a lot of work in for me to say, oh, I forgot to mention, um, this customer's just come out of prison. Um, and then suddenly, oh, well, we don't lend to people who've just come out of prison. Uh, so the deal falls apart. Uh, it's much easier if you start at the very beginning saying, yeah, slight dodgy past, will we still look at it? And they can say yes or no. And generally speaking, the answer to that is yes. Um, you can find a home for things. The guy that came out of prison, um, I don't think I actually did find a home for him. Um, but it does happen.
He told me he'd been in Dubai, which I'm not sure if that's some sort of slang for um, prison. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help that. <laughs> wow. Yes, and it was it was fraud as well, which um, doesn't bode well when you're uh, trying to raise money on uh, a property. Well, and clearly he'd not learned a lesson because he was trying to raise uh, finance under false pretenses that he'd been in Dubai and not in prison. Absolutely. So, yeah, still a fraudster. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, Paul, thank you so much for sharing those examples with us, because, you know, often, you know, people like me don't actually know what brokers, how brokers actually place deals. You know, we, we just expect to ring you guys up and for you to say, yes, don't you worry, I can get you, you know, a fantastic product, you know, like 110% loan to value at, you know, 0.1% per annum. And <laughs> I can give you the number of a really good broker who can do that if, he, if he's still in business. Um, and, you know, and, and we don't often appreciate what goes into helping us just make our dreams come true. So thank you very much. And, you know, for people who are going to be listening to this on the podcast, um, you can contact Paul, you know, just just go and um, his business is acon.finance. So um, HTTPS colon forward slash forward slash acon.finance. And for people in the room, if you just click on the link that I've pinned above, you will be able to see um, Paul's website. You can also contact him on Clubhouse. He's Paul Thompson send him a message or you can email him paul do you want to also kind of like you know tell us some other ways to um contact you so that people have all of those uh, to hand yeah so i mean the easiest thing is probably through my link tree um so it's how do you say that it's link tr dot ee so that spells link tree um, slash paul dot t so that's pretty simple and that'll lead you to our Facebook, which is finance.uk. Um, it'll lead you to LinkedIn, which is, oh gosh, now I'm gonna struggle. I think it's Paul underscore Acorn. Um, and you know, there's various other, other ways to contact me. Um, but you know, I'm quite happy to give my email address out if that's okay for Shusha. Oh yeah, definitely, please do. Yeah, uh, so it's paul at acorn.finance. So very simple. No co-UKs, no dot-coms, just acorn.finance. But um, yeah, we're, we're here to try and answer questions. One thing I should add, really, mm. is going, you know, going back to that hotel case, I, we did a lot of work before we get paid, and brokers do that. So I think I, I'm probably speaking for most brokers that um, when we get paid, it obviously it's good um, and that's why we do the job but you you want to see your customers successful so you do spend time at the beginning helping them to put the deal together and saying well if you do if you if we put it together in this way so in that case we need to get the right contractor we need to get an architect on board to do control that sort of thing then we can fund it. If we don't do that, if we go to a cheap builder um, and we 
try to control it all ourselves because you've got no experience we're going to come unstuck and we're not going to get the funding um so sometimes you do end up putting a lot of work in in advance of being paid anything and sometimes all that work comes to nothing because the customer then loses the property you know it's a it's a purchase and they don't get that property so i know that you're paying a fee and you don't want to pay a fee but you're paying for that experience you're paying for the fact that we spend a lot of time in meetings with lenders um, so my previous call was with a new lender um in a, an area that i didn't know a lot about uh, in funding startup companies in software and you know these SaaS software as a service businesses in e-commerce and all that sort of stuff um and it's it's a new line of funding uh, it's not something that's particularly mainstream yet but i need to know about it because i've had clients that have looked for that in the past and it hasn't been available and now it's coming available i want to know about it so you spend your time learning around your subject around um, finance in my point of view uh, the same as you guys spent are spending time listening to patricia's podcast to learn more about property and how to get the most out of it that time has to be paid for some somehow because i'm not on the clock i'm not getting um 20 pounds an hour from uh, from my boss i'm only earning money when i'm talking to customers so yeah that's why we have to charge a fee as if i have to justify it but sometimes i feel that i do <laughs> no never like you say you know, the customers who will, who are going to go away because they don't like what you're doing are probably not the customers that you want in your business anyway so um that's all good so there we have it uh, you know paul the only thing that's left for me to say is thank you very much for setting time aside to talk to me and you know to talk to people who might need your services because in in, in maximizing property values we need to be able to fund our deals so you are really really helping me by talking about this and by you know letting people have an avenue to go to if they have a complex stroke impossible case um, which may or may not result in funding so thank you very 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 much and um next week my diary says that i'm talking to sunil popat so um people you know you know the drill every wednesday 12 noon well usually every wednesday at 12 noon um i am here with a lovely guest and um again i'm looking forward to next week but paul thank you very very much thank you so much for inviting me on patricia really enjoyed our chat good thank you me too take care it's, so for people this is pro- gonna say this is probably so, the only the it's probably the only episode that i won't listen back to <laughs> <laughs> do you know what i think you're just like me i can't listen to my own voice i never listen back on on my podcast ever ever no <laughs> okay will you enjoy funny space